What a privilege we have this morning. We're gathered here to to meet with God. We're gathered here because we love him. We're gathered here because we want his direction in our lives. We're gathered here because we cannot live without it. And we're gathered here because we need each other. And we need the blessing we receive from uh, from joint worship. This morning, the topic I have uh, on my heart is uh, worshiping the God we know. Worshiping the God we know. And for a, a springboard for, for this message, I'd like for us to turn to John chapter 4. The context is that Jesus was there at the well, and this woman came, and and he asked for a drink from her. Then he's offering her a drink, a different kind of drink, and she is catching on, I think. And uh, Jesus reveals to her, he never met this woman before as, before, as far as we know, he reveals to her that he knows she has already had five husbands. And... Uh, She's a Samaritan woman, and we want to talk about that just a little bit, uh, just a little later on. But uh, in verse 19, when I break in there, and, and the, the woman said unto him, to Jesus, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. I want us to focus on what is important in this woman's life. What is the, the thing that she presents to Jesus? Verse 20, our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. Uh, I'm not sure who is saying that, probably the Jews, and she understood that Jesus was a Jew, and she is uh, grouping Jesus with the Jews and saying that you say that Jerusalem is the right place to worship. So, the question this woman had is, where, how, where do we worship? And uh, uh, Jesus goes deeper than that, uh, worshiping where one worship is maybe not the issue, but how does one worship? How do we go about this thing of worship? And uh, we want to keep on reading here uh, on down through verse 24. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet in Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So we see here that uh, Jesus makes a profound statement to this woman. She said, he said to her, ye worship, ye know not what. In other words, you don't know what you are worshiping. This morning, the question I present from the onset do you know who or what you're worshiping? 
Do you know the object of your worship? And talking about the Samaritans a little bit, uh, I didn't do a lot of research in that. The Samaritans were somewhat uh, descendants of Abraham. There had been some mixture, some intermarrying. So in the Jews' mind, they weren't necessarily uh, true children of Abraham. They were definitely not Jews, and they were the Jews definitely wouldn't consider them part of the people of God. But as we see, as I brought out earlier, that this question of worship was important to this woman. And I, I think that that is something that is, trying to find the right word here, it, it's, a, it's something we'll find throughout all of humanity. People do worship. And to a certain extent, the atheist that claims there is no God still does worship something. And so often, and we want to be looking at that a little further on, uh, this is what I happened. I think, I think this, this woman was maybe a product of various generations of people that had made some wrong choices. And she ended up being, living a very immoral life, uh, a very needy person, and Jesus understood that. And, and he was speaking uh, some profound things to this woman. This morning, I'm trying to see if I can grasp exactly what Jesus told this woman about worship. True worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And the Father seeketh such. God is looking for people that worship him in this way, in a true way, in a right way. And the, uh, the thrust of the message is this morning, you cannot worship God in a proper way unless you know God for who he is. You have a personal knowledge and relationship of God. And the more we can get that, the closer we can walk to God, the more accurate our worship is going to be. And we could think a little bit just about what we're doing here this morning. We call this a worship service, and it is. And we have a worship service. Oftentimes it doesn't happen every day. Sometimes it's other activities. But in my home, we have a time of worship. And I have a personal time of worship where... I'd like to get up early enough that I have an hour or whatever it is, or an hour and a half, whatever it might be, of, of seeking God before I do anything else in the day. That is important to me. That's a habit I have established and, and, and maintained. And it's a good habit. And I don't want to do it just because it's a habit. I want to do it because I need to do it. It's my lifeline. But worship is important, and the right kind of worship is, is what I'm thinking about. Now I want to go, go back to the Old Testament a little bit, and I wasn't sure if I should read all this or not. I don't think I will. I just want to point a few things out. In Exodus chapter 19, if, if you'd like, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. And the, uh, the setting here is, 
God is preparing his people. He has taken them out of Egypt, and now he's preparing them for, and what, uh, what follows immediately after this setting here is the giving of the Ten Commandments and uh, Moses being up there, Mount Sinai. Uh, in verse 10, the Lord told Moses that he's going to come down. He's going to come to meet with the people. And that these people needed to sanctify themselves. I'd like to understand there was a difference between Moses and most of the rest of his people. Somehow Moses was able to go up into the presence and meet God on top of Mount Sinai. And the rest of the people were not supposed to even come close. They're not even supposed to touch that, that mountain there. And if anyone would touch it, they would surely be put to death. And... uh Moses went down and gave instructions to the people. And uh, there, was, there was a tremendous manifestation there. I, I'm not sure if I can grasp exactly what all was going on. There was a cloud. God came down. And there was a, a trumpet. It was exceedingly loud. It says the people that were in the camp, they trembled. And we don't, I don't see it here, but if you read in Hebrews 12, you see that, that God spoke and the people trembled. And it came to the place where they said, we don't want to hear anymore. We don't want to hear anymore of what God has to say. God was there. There's an opportunity to worship, but people were not comfortable in the presence of God. This is a holy, this is an almighty God, and people were not comfortable in his presence. Now Moses was. And why? What, what was the condition of these people's hearts that made them tremble and be afraid? Not a reverence, but a fear. And that God told Moses to go down and said, charge the people lest they break through. And the Lord gaze on them, and many will perish. Do we understand the holiness of our God and, and what a privilege it would be to be able to enter into his presence and worship him? Now, we know that Moses was up there for a while. Many of us know what happened about the time Moses was coming down from receiving the Ten Commandments and instructions of the Lord, the people had made another god, and they said, these are the gods that took us out of Egypt. But it's an interesting thing, and this is how some of this worship, and this is, I think, so common in, in so-called worship today, they said, let us have a feast unto the Lord. So this, this was, they, they had a, an experience with the Lord. They, they, in a sense, wanted to serve the Lord, but they wanted to have a God that is, they can be comfortable in his presence. You're following me. It's something about, the difference between Exodus 19 and Exodus 32, if you study those two. They wanted to have a God of their own making, a God that we can manage, 
a God that doesn't require things that I'm uncomfortable doing. That's a very popular God for people to have. And I think that is, is the process, and I want to look at that just in a little bit. The process from knowing God and worshiping him to ending up in what I call demonic activity. Now, I have lived a number of years in, in Guatemala, and we lived in one of the darker places. The, the bondage those people lived in, uh, I just talk about grudges that, that went on between uh, different families. And the, the, the lack of the ability to forgive to where someone committed a murder against his family and the next family was waiting for their opportunity and so they're going to murder someone else in return to what this family had done to us. And so then it went back to the other one and, and we were aware of a number of, of murders that took place in the time we lived there. But I, I observed how people would have these processions and they would go out and they would have along the way on the road they would have these chairs and they would put images on these chairs and they have these platforms and they put these images on these platforms and they go out there. And for someone that has a knowledge of God and, and knows the freedom and the purity and the, and the the beauty of, of a holy God and, and to worship and see how far these people have strayed from this. And then the Lord called us to live in, in uh, the Anta Valley in Peru. And, and it seems to me, from what, what I could gather, that the darkness was so much more intense yet. The, the bondage, the, the, how people with their superstition and how they lived and, and they would go out at certain times in, in December there's they have, have this festival to the Virgin Immaculada, the, the the Immaculate Virgin. And they they put on these ugly masks and, and they're dancing with this beer bottle. And there's a friend of mine that knows the inner thing, he said, by tonight all these people are going to be involved in some very serious immoral acts. And I was in Guadalcondo, it's a town that the last I knew did not have a single professing Christian. And I was there when this group of people, they had gone to, to worship the Señor de Collarite, way up high in the mountain in the, in the glacier, they go to worship their God. And they were coming back. And this, this is all done in the name of Christianity. And they came back and, and they had these ugly costumes and and there was just a bit, an intense, how do I say it, demonic spirit about the whole thing. And it didn't happen. One time when they had this festival, we went into Watacondo and the policeman came and said, you're, you're welcome to hand out your literature, but I want you to know the last time people did that, they got, they got run off. And it didn't happen for us, but we were aware that it could. It's just tremendous darkness. And these were people that, like I said, they have a profession of Christianity because somewhere back there, someone knew the true God and worshipped him. And it, it came to what, what we witnessed there. 
The Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthian church, as in 1 Corinthians 10, he said, the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would that ye should not have fellowship with devils. And so I've come to understand, I, I know uh, we had some friends, uh, Jonathan Crop, John and Charlotte, they were in Antabamba, and before they moved into that area, they were talking to some people, and they had gone out, and they go down into a field, and they have this, uh, these sacrifices they make, and these rituals, and these prayers to these idols, and they asked him, but do you actually really believe this? And I said, oh, yes. He said, we've had it ready where we didn't have rain and we needed rain for our crops. It wasn't raining. And we went down there. By the time we got back to our house, it was just pouring rain. And what I, what I think, we know that the, those idols are, are just wood and stone or whatever they're made of. But we know that the devil wants to distract from true worship and he, he wants to take that worship and so where this worship is going on there's I, I believe a congregation of of demons of evil spirits and uh, the more the more that people serve and the more they they worship in a false way the more power that those spirits have and I I didn't really I think all, our whole time we were in Guatemala I didn't go into those uh, temples where people gathered to, to worship, but they said if you went in there at nighttime, there was like voices and there was uh, manifestation, there was things going on. There was uh, the town we lived in, uh, in La Yerba Buena, there was uh, people had seen, uh, really actually literally seen demonic beings uh, or uh, one example was uh, this this white dog. People had a fear of white dogs, and there was superstition. And this this church member that this is before my time, but he he wasn't living right. But this dog came at night and attacked him, a white dog, and he was coming to get at his throat. And his wife could see him thrashing around. She couldn't see the dog, but he could. So I, I just share that this morning to say that. If we don't know God, we don't worship him as it, it, according to the standard that God has set up, this is where we can end up at. And, and sometimes it doesn't take long, but we, I think of Jeroboam. You know that Jeroboam was concerned that uh, people would go back to Rehoboam because Jerusalem was a place to worship. So he set up two golden calves. One was in Bethel and the other was in Dan. And the people went there to worship. And I understand the idea wasn't really that they're supposed to worship these calves, but these, these golden calves are, are just a help so that you can worship God. And I talked to our friends uh, in Guatemala about, you know, why, why do you bow down before these images? Why do you pray to them? They said, oh, no, we, we don't worship them. We, we venerate them. But they're just a help for us to be able to, to reach God. And I found it, uh, to this day, I, I just wasn't quite sure how to help them beyond that. No, it has to be the Holy Spirit that shows them just how God is such a jealous God and, and he, the worship has to be for him and him alone.
Let's turn to Romans chapter 1. In verse 20, we see that the Apostle Paul is, is writing here and to the Romans and saying that no one really has an excuse for not knowing God. God, just in, in nature, just in his creation, has revealed himself, so no one should have an excuse. Verse 21 is a key here this morning. It says, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. I'm going to stop there. We're talking about people that knew God. And there's often... Uh, a progression of apostasy and, of, and of, of falling away and a turning away from God that happens maybe over uh, several or a number of generations. It can be a generation that is on fire for God and they love the Lord and they, they know true worship, they know God. And then the next generation, maybe sometimes it can be more of a just a ritual that we go through and uh, God becomes... If, if God isn't real to us this morning, he becomes a thing uh, and something that we, we need to do, and it becomes a duty. And oftentimes, the, the children of that generation, they will see the hypocrisy, they see the deadness of it, and, and they're ready to just, just throw it out. And I, I've heard someone say, I think there's some truth to it, that when there's there's young people that are rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not, they're not rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ of the scriptures. They're rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ as see lived out in their parents. So do we know God this morning? Do we know him so we could have true worship and, and true? Uh, so these people... They knew God, but they did not glorify him as God. They did not give God the rightful place in their lives. The glory of God was no longer visible. And aside from that, they were not thankful. And if we're here this morning with an unthankful heart, if we're here this morning ungrateful about, the, about life and the way life has treated me and, and we're down about it all, an ungrateful heart cannot truly worship God. We have to deal with that. And we'll talk about that a little more. We have Cain and Abel. Cain offered a sacrifice. Cain, that was their way of worshiping God. Cain was offering a sacrifice to God, and Abel came and he offered a sacrifice to God. Now people say, and this could be true, I haven't figured it out, they say the reason that God accepted Abel's sacrifice is because it was an animal and there was blood involved, and that Cain brought fruits from the earth. The Bible doesn't say that, so I haven't completely bought into it. I know there are animal sacrifices are necessary in blood and all that in the Old Testament. But I look at the attitude that Cain had towards God. 
said when, when Cain saw that God was pleased with Abel's sacrifice and not with his, he was wroth towards God. Now you think that if you're wroth before, you're wroth toward God, you're angry with God, that you can truly worship God? Impossible. Could it be that it says he was angry, he was wroth? Could it be he was bitter? And I don't know about you, but we can be tempted sometimes, and I have met people that are bitter towards people. And they're bitter towards life and the way life has treated them. And ultimately, it results knowing that God is sovereign. God has allowed these things in their life. They are bitter towards God. Now, you can't be bitter towards God and worship him as we should. It's, it's not possible. And what happens? And I think there's a lot of atheists and there's a lot of people that are, are frustrated with life. And they say, how can a, a kind and a loving God allow these things? People went through war. And, and you, you read about it back in World War II, how horrible that was. And they blame God for it. This morning is a is an evil, it's a wicked heart to blame God for the wickedness. It has to do with choices people make, and it has to do with people giving room to the devil, and the devil has his freedom to, to do what he wants. So this morning, we could talk about having thankful hearts, and then there's scriptures that command us to, to have thankful hearts. But that, not glorifying God and not having thankful hearts is what started the process of, of if you read down through Romans chapter 1, the, the horrible things that people do deprived, deprived or depraved humanity. And the world is not getting better. We can look all around us. There's evil all around. And evil in the end times, it talks about the love of uh, many turning cold, and, and there's there's a few examples. I'm not going to read them, but I just want to point them out. You know, there's this interchange between Satan and God concerning Job, and God tells Satan, "Okay, touch his things, but don't touch his life." because the accusation was that Job was serving God because God was good. Well, that's a good reason to serve God, and, and things are going well. And I'm not exactly sure of this, but it seems that as a matter of just a few minutes, the servant came in and said he lost his, his 5,000 sheep, his 5,000 camels, and his 500 donkeys, and his, his 500 um, oxen. 11,000 animals, one after the next, they're gone, they were stolen, they, something happened to them, didn't have them anymore. Then immediately after that, the servant came in and said that all your children were in this house and there's a storm and the house fell down on top of them, they're all killed, and all 10 children, dead. Did, 
Job only worshipped God because God was had a hedge around him because God was good and God only brought good into his life. What did, Joseph, uh, what did Job do? He said, the Bible says he fell upon the ground and worshipped. Now we can worship this morning. It's a beautiful place to be and we have good fellowship. We have good people sitting beside us and we love each other. And it's a wonderful place to worship. But we know that sometimes in life it's not that way. Sometimes things come along that are hard to understand. And I don't think Job understood. Maybe to the day he died he understood what was going on in heaven that brought all this upon him. And I know he struggled as you keep reading the book of Job, but he was faithful. He did not sin against God. One other example I have is where Abraham was told to go offer Isaac. And so he took his servants and they went and they took the wood, they took everything needed to go to make this sacrifice, this offering to God. And they came close to Mount Moriah where he was to make this sacrifice. And Abraham told his servants, the lads, the men that came with them, said, you just wait here. Me and my son Isaac, we're going to go up here and we're going to worship God. Abraham right well knew what he was asked to do. We're going to go, we're going to worship God. These are Old Testament examples, and, and we want to look at what Jesus had to say in New Testament. I think that God has given us some things that some of these saints didn't have. But they worship God. Somehow God has it ordained that seeking him and knowing him requires diligence. I don't know if you've figured that out yet. In other words, getting to know God and worshiping God isn't for the casual seekers. It is for those that are serious about it. And I think we're getting to the core of some things I want to have on my heart here this morning. Casualness is the rage of the age. You knew that, didn't you? Back when I was in my sinful days, I listened to country music, and it was the devil's music, still is. But there's this song about the man upstairs listening. I don't know if any of you go back and remember still. He's not the man upstairs. He's an almighty Awesome, infinite, powerful creator, not the man upstairs. The, the image that was being portrayed by that singer or the one who wrote the song is the image that they wanted to have of God. It's my buddy that I can just stop 
relate to is I, I relate to my buddy. He said, if, if my buddy doesn't like something about me, well, he can take it or leave it. And that's how we want to serve God. No. And this casual movement, we want to come, we want to meet with God, we want to do it in a casual way. God deserves reverence. He deserves our awe. And his ways are revealed to those who make a passion of it. Passion to know God, passion to seek Him, and if somehow God is, is just is just out there. Somehow I, I just can't quite seem to. There's reasons for that. There, there's things that we could do. Maybe there's things in our life. We live in a fast food society. We want fast food relationships. I want a relationship that doesn't take a whole lot from me. And that's how people want to relate to God, also. So that's. I'm not necessarily speaking about out against a particular group, but we went out every Sunday morning when I go in this mega church where I can hide in the crowd and we have this dynamic man that he's, he's, he's going to do it all. And that's about all that Christianity has to do on Sunday morning. I'm going to set aside two hours and we're going we're gonna to have this worshipful experience. And then I go on to live my life as I please. Worshiping God is a 24-7 thing. And I know that we're not aware of it when we're sleeping, but it's still He's there. And He deserves our all and our all. God is worthy. And He requires this of me. You shall seek me and you shall know me because you seek me with all your heart. Is that your experience with worshiping God? It's easy for me to pursue earthly things. It's easy for me to be attracted to wealth and luxury and entertainment and sports. It's easy for me to give more passion to my smartphone than I give to my relationship with God. It's easy to do. It's easy to get distracted. It's easy to have false gods. And they are more subtle in this society right here than they are in Iscuchaca, Peru. I know there's a lot of subtle gods here too, but the people go and they, they bow down and they, they uh, give their attention and their dedication to these images. And it's easy for us to sort out. But you have these images in your pocket that are drawing your attention. They're taking more of your passion than God. Or maybe it's this trophy that's out there in the woods. I've been there. I know all about it, that trophy and, and the dedication that that 
that that this person dedicated towards that trophy was much more attention and and attention that the the God in heaven received from this person. Do we know God this morning? Do we know him in a way that we can worship him, in a way that's pleasing to him? I'm not going to turn there, but in, in Hebrews 11:6 it says, this should be a given, and yet there's something important there. It says that he that comes to God must believe that he is. He that comes to God must believe that he is. This morning, did you come to God? If you came to God, did you believe that he is? Or is God some, are we worshiping some empty thing? And people don't, I know of people that, that were taught about the true God, and they end up in, in things like yoga and, and meditation. And, and people, I, I know of a, a situation where someone got involved with herbs, and herbs Herbs are good because God created herbs. And some of those herbs have healing power. But when, when you start getting other beliefs mixed in, and after a while it's this black box that had to be passed over the food to sanctify it. After a while he's going around in church and, and, and passing out um, some, some uh, things he had made up about why Christ isn't God. And, and this was a preacher in, in, in a conservative Anabaptist setting. I say that say that we we meet we need to know God and and it's not a God of a vain imagination and how people people that say I do not believe in God I'm an atheist and I, I reject God and there's bitterness towards God and after a while they're they're into this meditation stuff and and they're maybe they're worshiping Buddha now. In Hebrews 3.10 it says, Wherefore I was grieved with that generation said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. And the, the setting there was uh, uh, referring to the provocation, which was when the, ten, uh, the 12 spies were sent out, and 10 of them came back and said, It's all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him. How do we get these all things that pertain to life and to godliness. It's through the knowledge of God.
And I can go out there at nighttime and look at the stars. And the scientists say, and I believe it, I know they have ways of measuring that, that some of those stars are like thousands of light years out there. Light traveling at, how fast is it? 300,000 miles per second or whatever. It takes thousands of years for the light of that star to reach to where, where we can see it. Now, this is scientific fact. And I think of a God that in, in one moment spoke the word and all this came into existence. And it, it, it's a God that is bigger than I am and that's the kind of God I want. Some people have to reduce God down to a God they can figure out in their own minds. And I don't have to. I just worship him for who he is. And also, uh, just uh, in the last little bit, that uh, at school they've been studying about uh, the human body and, 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 and the amazement of, we were singing here this morning and, and our eyes and our ears and, and our voice and everything has to work together in an amazing way that it seems impossible. And how the human brain works, we really don't understand much about it yet. How this, what is it, four or five pounds of mass that's mostly fat can do what it does. It's just way beyond us. Yet we worship God that, that he didn't have to try ten times to see how it worked and, and start over again. It, it just worked right from the start. So we worship God as we think about it, and we, we think about nature, and, and we look at the birds and how they know a certain time of year they go, and they know how to get the right straw and the right mud and all that, and, and they just know how to do it. And we worship God through, through his creation. And then God reveals himself through our conscience. So we have there in, in Romans 2, verse 14 and 15, so the Gentiles, they show the work of the law written in their hearts. It's verse 15. Their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts and meanwhile accusing or excusing one another. I have some good friends in Peru. A, a friend that I, I'm not sure, but I would think that perhaps he never opened this book. But I was talking to Judy just to when was it the other morning or the other evening? I said, we go down there, we present the gospel to, to this friend. Even though he has no clue how to live the Christian life, he, he's powerless. But he knows very well if I'm not living the gospel. He never maybe heard it preached. He never read in, in this book, but he knows how you and I should be living. And that is, Across the board, people know what's right and wrong. They don't know how to, how to live that way. You can't without the power of, of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But they know how people should live. And if I go and take the gospel, and my, the gospel I take it is somewhat tainted because I'm not living the gospel myself, they're going to know it, and they're going to blaspheme the God that I serve because it's not being portrayed accurately. So God reveals himself through conscience. There's, there's something about man being created in the image of God, and that's not just a body, it's a being, that that being 
has an understanding of right and wrong. God reveals himself through his word. And if you this morning are not a lover of this word, I really don't know how you're going to go about worshiping God. It's a vital part of my life to worship God, to meet God as he reveals himself. I can know so much about God through, through exposing myself to, I try to do these four chapters a day, two in the old and two in the new. And you can do it how you want, but be exposed to the word of God because that is God revealing himself to us. And it's much more accurate. There's a lot of things about nature that do not speak right and wrong and how to fix wrong. But this word has information there. We were open to it. So we worship God because we love God and we love his word and we, we immerse yourself in it. So if you're here this morning and you don't love God's word and you're wondering why God doesn't answer your prayers, you're here this morning and, and you don't love or, or you say that it's, it's, it's boring and, and I just don't get, it just doesn't, I just, somehow I don't feel blessed. Somehow I feel, I go away feeling empty. And I know of situations where people come to church and they say, when's he going to get done preaching? It's already five minutes overtime or ten. What's going on here? If we love God and words being preached, we want more. We want more. Don't get done yet. There's one last one that this is this is uh, going back. Maybe I'd want to go back there again. John chapter four. Verse 22, Jesus tells the woman there, you worship, you know not what. We know what we worship. Salvation is of the Jews. The hour cometh and now is. This is a New Testament era. When the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So there is a a union that takes place. We are born again. We are born of the Spirit of God as an indwelling presence in our lives. And that Spirit of truth wants to guide us and wants to speak in our lives and we must obey. We hear his promptings and we obey. This morning, do you know what the promptings of the Holy Spirit are? If you do, do you know what obedience is? Have you ever experienced resisting? If you're honest, most of you are going to say, yes, I know what that's about. Have you experienced yielding? Have you experienced the blessing and the peace that comes through yielding the promptings of that inner voice? John 16, it's, it's precious here. To me, it's kind of, this, how do I say it? The, the capping off of, of this, these three chapters when Jesus is giving last-minute instruction to his disciples I'm going to leave, but the Holy Spirit's coming. You're better off because if I don't leave, he can't come. Once I leave, he's going to come. You're better off with him. I'm putting it in my own words, but that's what Jesus told him. 
And in, in John 16 and verse 13, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you in all truth. He shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me. He shall receive of mine, so show it unto you. All things that the Father hath for mine, therefore said I, that he shall take of mine and show it unto you. I'm going to translate this. Uh, some of you understand, some don't maybe. He's saying that the work of the Holy Spirit is to reveal Christ to us. I don't want to know the, the Christ of our own making. I want to know the Christ of the scriptures. And sometimes maybe Christ has been, been portrayed in a little inaccurate way. The Amish might portray Christianity one way and, and the uh, Catholics another. I want to know the Christ of the scriptures. And I, I don't want to just know him in my head. I want truth to be revealed. And I understand that the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, his work is to reveal Jesus to me. And I need that. And I want that. And as he reveals Jesus to me, I worship him. It's revolutionary. I need him as a constant companion. If, and in a humble way, I come to God, say, God, I know there's areas where I still am distorted in my way of understanding truth and understanding God. God is infinite. I'm finite. He's always right. He's always good. His dealings are trustworthy. His ways are right. And if I don't understand, maybe sometimes... I struggle with doubt, and I wonder how this is going to work out. And I understand that God is sovereign. If he's sovereign, then he has absolute rule. But I yield, I obey, I pursue. I long to know him better. I give him my all. And God is faithful. He reveals himself. We can know him. We can know him in a personal way. He can be the God that he really is, and reveal himself to me, and I worship him for it. Shall we kneel for prayer?